joining us at OurDaybreak.Church. As a church, we are continuing to walk through the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus teaches what it is to be a follower of His and to live out the kingdom of God here and now in our lives. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, Do not judge, lest you be judged. Join us as Pastor Britt unfolds for us what a life, not judgmental, but living under the grace, wisdom, and humility of God really looks like. Word, if you want to turn your Bible or flick open that She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth app, because there's a Bible in there, um, and you can pick which version you want to go on. If you want to learn more, connect with one of us. That's a good plug, huh? I'm really proud of myself. Whoop, whoop. Okay, so we're going to turn to Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye and don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will clearly take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Dear Lord, help us seek into the word this morning to learn to not be judgmental in any situation so we can carry your grace out into the world and truly be the lanterns that you designed us to be. I hope that everybody takes in everything that Pastor Brett is going to speak into our souls this morning and we just carry this through us, not just through the end of our day, but through every single moment of this week. Thank you so much, and in your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, one of my uh, least favorite passages. Here we go. All right. Uh, if you're a guest with us, just want to let you know we have been, uh, where we've been and where this remaining chapter of the Sermon on the Mount is going to take us. Um, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, since Easter time. Uh, from chapter 5 through 6, we heard Jesus unpack to his disciples, a king, kingdom followers, Christians, uh, the character he's looking for, uh, the influence that we are as light to this world, a life of holiness through the Holy Spirit, righteousness, piety, ambitions, the heart, overcoming sin, right practices and formations that help us make much of Jesus. Now in chapter 7, in, in a manner, Jesus moves towards the way of the kingdom. Jesus has talked about his way, and his way is the way of the kingdom, which is the way of God. We've been praying for the kingdom uh, to come, as we read Matthew 6. We say, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So Jesus is clearly communicating there is a, there is a kingdom, and there is a way in which that we should live. And if we're honest as we read that prayer, it's an acknowledgement that we most of us don't live that way. We don't live out the kingdom. We're not living out the will of God. And so we have to pray that. We have to be formed and shaped after that. And I believe that chapter 7 is Jesus tackling that. Chapter 7 is Jesus tackling this way of the kingdom, which we have to revisit often, especially as we're going to find as we talk this morning. Um, there's, there's some misunderstandings that we have with this specific text um, as we walk throughout Scripture over the next several weeks, uh, finishing out this sermon. So in a manner, Jesus is moving us in the way of the kingdom, what our relationship looks like with others and God and following Jesus in this life. And so Jesus starts by making what feels like a hard left turn. This is why I love Scripture, and it's important for us to not just take Scripture um, out of context. Uh, so Matthew chapter 7 is a continuation of everything else that Jesus is talking about. So to be reminded, how did we end uh, in chapter 6? Jesus saying, be anxious of nothing, but seek first the kingdom of God. So in seeking first the kingdom of God, Jesus now says, okay, we're, our attention, our gaze is now after the kingdom of God, and so there's a certain way we need to live. 
And so he begins the statement by, therefore let us not judge, lest we be judged. This hard turn really isn't that hard of a turn. It's Jesus addressing the anxieties of our life and focus of God's kingdom first now, and then therefore not to judge. So as we just read, I want to read for us again Matthew 7. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and keep those open. You can, um, I'm hoping words kind of jump out to you as we're going to be looking at each one of these verses specifically. So starting in verse 1, do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure that you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet. Turn and tear you to pieces. Come on, Jesus, what do we got here? What I find fascinating, I I grew up in the day and age uh, where John 3.16 was a very highly memorized verse in our culture uh, that most every sinner and saint knew. You saw John 3.16 and you'd be like, yeah, I know what that means. I, at, least, at least I can repeat it. I may not know what it means. I may not live it out, but at least I know what it means. Today, I believe Matthew 7.1 is that memory verse that our culture loves to repeat. Don't judge me, bro. Right? Like That's the world that we live in. You try to challenge or encourage or check somebody and they're like, I, you, you're not my judge. Don't be my judge. My favorite thing is people say only God can judge. You're right. And that is a terrifying reality. And this morning we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the reality that God is the judge, the only judge, the judge that we both need and the judge that we should be fearful of, but in that fear also thankful for a Savior named Jesus. So the reality is we all judge. In this room, some of y'all may judge a little better than others. Um, some of y'all may judge a little less, but the reality is we, we all judge. Driving down the road uh, the last several days, um, I judge when I drive hard. If I'm just honest, I get angrier and angrier. Like even today, we were driving past, this car ran a red light. Like I need, I want to be like a civilian cop. I think at the end of the day, if I could pull people over, give them traffic tickets, like, I'd be, it'd be really satisfying to me. And I can't, would catch them all the time. But I would be a bad judge, I'm sure. And so, uh, driving down the road, um, vanity plates. I don't know if you have a vanity plate or if this is you. I still love you. Uh, this car flew past and uh, we were, I was on the highway. And it was like one of those really expensive Teslas. Like, I don't know the model because I'm poor. Uh, but it flew past, and the license plate was F-L-A-W-N-T, flaunt. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, that's like straight-up gangster. He's like, mm, look at my nice car. I'm like, ah. And I was envious for about two seconds. So immediate log jam right in the eye, like, ah, I'm going to judge this car. Driving the other day, though, down Highway 50, over by Target, Chick-fil-A, uh, there's a car weaving in and out of traffic, like flying fast. And this, this happens in Kenosha. People are crazy. Um, and so as I'm watching, and I started judging, I'm like, Gee, man, like, we're all going to get to the same place. Slow down. Like, what is, what is your problem? You're going to cause an accident. This is just dumb. Like, I- I'm saying probably more inappropriate things. I haven't thought of who do they think they are. As they blew past, they had a vanity plate. And it read, N-I-C-U-R-N. NICU-R-N, nurse. Neonatal intensive care unit, registered nurse. Um, As we came up close to Journey, Aurora, saw him peel in. Don't justify speeding. But in those moments, and Stacy has helped me in this, whenever I used to get mad at cars, when they'd fly past, she would always come up with some crazy excuse as to why. 
Like, maybe the wife is going into labor and the husband's just trying to catch up. And I'm like, still breaking the law, but that's... <laughs> maybe it's their grandfather's, like, birthday and they've got to go, go, go. And I'm like, still breaking the law. But it's in that moment that I was like, my judgment was hard. This person was just being selfish, totally prideful, doing their own thing. But in reality, I would assume by the way they were driving, where they pulled into, they were headed to save a life. And my judgment that I was trying to cast, and I, like Stacy can attest this, and it's not right. I'm the guy who sometimes will block cars when they're doing that. Be like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to slow down. <laughs> I see a few people pointing to their spouse like, this guy right here. Like, we do that. And it was in that moment that I was like, I'm going to be the judge. I'm going to throw down the jury. I'm going to throw down the jurisdiction. Be like, I'm going to show them. Which could have been very detrimental to the life of somebody they were headed to save. We cast judgment. We, we do it all of the time. I have another illustration that I have to take a vote of whether or not, he, before I go into it, a show of hands, how many people know who Kanye West is? Enough hands. There it is. Great. I want to be able to talk about this because my soul is encouraged by this. I don't know if you follow the news. Uh, Kanye West gave his life to Jesus several weeks ago. Y'all can applaud that. Like, that's, that's amazing. Um, I don't know if you listen to any of his music that is irrelevant. Um, and I'm not going to go into the entirety of his testimony, his story, but I have followed this for the last several weeks and have been greatly encouraged. Um, he's going on radio shows and conversations, and he is constantly steering it back to the gospel of Christ every single time, like every time, to where it's awkward. Like, the people are interviewing him. He's like, I know I'm on an interview, but I want to tell you about how Jesus calls me to repent from the life that I've lived, and, like, I need him, and he gives me grace. And I'm like, what is this mug doing? And he's like, I don't care. Like, people need to know. And he's going on these tours, calling them Sunday services, which is amazing. And it's just a straight gospel preaching message. Got choirs, people are singing the gospel, they're singing praise. His pastor, Adam Tyson, who led him to the Lord, who meets with him weekly uh, in Bible study to disciple him and raise him up in the scripture, he gets up and he's preaching. And like, it's just something incredible. But in one of Kanye's lyrics, the, uh, uh, he, I'm not going to call it a worship album, <laughs> um, but he, he released an album yesterday, uh, yesterday Friday, uh, some, uh, yeah, Friday, and it has taken over the world. And I want to be clear, as a communicator of the gospel, I have not seen or read lyrics that have been more explicit about who King Jesus is than some of the stuff that he's singing. Um, you don't just make that stuff up. Something has happened in our brother's heart. Um, but what's also happening is the amount of judgment he is getting from us, people who would say that they are followers of Jesus. We're putting stipulations. Well, we'll really see how he turns out. We'll see if he really becomes a Christian. I don't buy it yet. And in one of his lyrics, he says this. I'm probably going to get the rhyming wrong, so don't judge me. <sighs> <laughs> Told people God was my mission. What have you been hearing from them Christians? They'll be the first ones to judge me. Make me feel like nobody loved me. Make you feel alone in the dark and you'll never see the light. Man, you've never, uh, you've never seen home and you've never seen the domes. I can feel it when I write, but I'm living in the right. If, the on if they only see the wrongs, never listen to the songs. Just to listen is a fight, but you book me for the fight. It's so hard to get along if they only see the slight from the love of their religion. As he's writing a testimonial song about what Jesus is doing to him, he's also having to write a rebuttal to the brothers and sisters who are going to judge his, behavior, his past as he's trying to press after his present. And we do that. Like, I could not think of a better example. So I was like, God, thank you for giving me Kanye this week. <laughs> and not just welcoming him into the kingdom of God, but for what is happening to him as we talk about judgment. And we do this. And this is the very thing that Jesus is talking about. Do not judge, yes, lest you be judged. He's not saying, and we're going to get to this, that we don't judge as people. There is judgment. We are called to have a level of critical eye 
to one another's life so that we live the best life that God is calling us to live. We need encouragement. We need correction. We need people to come alongside us and challenge us in those moments. But there is a right way in which we do it. And so the way in which Jesus is addressing is the way in which what we can see here in this text. There is a standard that we put on some people of what salvation really can look like. That we say, like, well, Kanye needs to do X, Y, and Z. I just want to ask you, what was put on your plate of what you needed to do? Say yes to Jesus? And then figure it out. What this mug is doing. He said yes to Jesus and is figuring it out. A slowness and a patience that God has graciously given a young man that four years ago was calling himself God. And now he's humbly bowing himself going, man, I was a fool. I worshiped the devil. And now the king has set me free. There is only one but Jesus. Like guys, that, that excites my heart for somebody who we've watched his life on display. And I'm not here to preach about Kanye. I'm here to preach about Jesus because he is the one who changes lives. He is the one who stirs within us. And you and I will face in this life, in this world, we will come up against people that if we're not careful, we are going to cast judgment like Jesus is saying not to cast judgment on. And so when we see the word judge, a very simple understanding is call, calling a rule. So you're going ahead. Jesus is saying, don't be the one who tries to call the play. Don't look at someone and say, you're condemned. That's what Jesus is getting after. To judge, uh, one of the definitions that, that we can infer from this is to cast not only judgment, but rule of what is and what should be on someone's life. And Jesus is saying, guess what, fam, when you do that, God's going to do that to you. And why is God going to do that to you? He's going to actually, and we see this, Jesus works this out in some other parables. He talks about how the king forgives. He, he completely casts judgment to forgive someone of a debt that they owe. And then the guy goes out. We talked on this a few weeks ago. The guy goes out, finds somebody who owes him a little bit. He casts judgment on the individual, tries to choke him out and tell him that you're going to have to pay everything, throws him into jail. Guess what? The king brings him back and judges him the same way that he judged his peer. This is what Jesus is saying, that when you live a life of critical judgment, judgmental attitude, choosing how someone will or will not experience the grace of God, how someone will or will not experience the gospel, we are missing the point, and we're actually stepping into a realm that is not our realm to be. It's God's throne. He's the judge. He's in charge. And when we cast those kind of judgments, it's us saying, God, I think you got this wrong. Let me go ahead and have a seat. I'll show, I'll show them how to do this. And so when we read this first part of the scripture, verse 1 and 2, do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. There's three things I want us to see this morning that I think kind of can be pulled apart from these three pieces that Jesus is saying. The first is grace. Second, humility. And the third is wisdom. Grace, humility, and wisdom. We're going to look at each one of those. The first being grace. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you are growing in the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus says this, there is judgment coming, but there is a Savior who has paid it all. That you can rest and live and embrace that reality. That is the gospel and the good news is that judgment is coming, but there is one who has taken the penalty. There is one who has sat under the judgment that was deserving of our sin, our brokenness, and that is Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me. This is the way of the kingdom. Walk in this way with me and you will have life and life to its fullest. So when we live this, we have to grow and understand, how then do I live a life of grace? Because our world has trained us to be really judgmental. And not even our world, just our hearts. Like, we are really good at being judgmental. I am. I don't know about you. We judge everything. We judge people's glasses, their beard length, 
we're going to go judge Chili, and I think that's okay. <laughs> like, we made this happen for a reason. Like, we just, we judge everything. And, and yet, there should be grace. I think many of us live lives with magnifying glasses on everything, on others, because that's how we've lived it. We've had people living their life magnifying everything on us. Of like, you didn't do good enough. You didn't catch that ball well enough. You didn't make the, the highest A. You weren't the skinniest. You weren't the prettiest. You weren't the fastest. You're not the best. And it's that magnifying glass that the world has looked at on us that we then walk around and go, cool, my turn. Who do I get to look at? Who do I get to go, mm, you know what? You're not measuring up either. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. We ain't, not this way. This is not how we live. This is not what we do. Because judgment of God is placed on us. And that is, that is the world that we're going to walk into. We're going to look at Scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians, in a few minutes. We're all going to appear before God. We're all going to appear before his judgment seat. But Jesus says that if you're mine, you're covered. So just get on with your life. Get on with living it in the way that you should. And by doing that... You should not be living with a magnifying glass, but live with a mirror. God, where, where can I become more like you? Instead of me looking, engaging everyone else up of how they're not measuring up, Jesus, where, what, what, how, how today can I be more like you? What in my life today are you calling for me to live and be more like you? If you take notes, write this down because this is gold for us forever. God will outgrace your sin every time. I'm going to say that again in case somebody might want to say amen the second time. God will outgrace your sin every single time. Like that is the good news that you cannot outsin his grace and mercy because of the life of Jesus. God has already gone ahead and judged our sin in Jesus. Rightly and fairly, not based on what you have done, but what Christ has done himself. The scripture's not going to be in there, I don't think. Uh, but Romans 3.23, if you have your Bibles, flip there with me. Romans 3.23. Again, another famous, like, memorized scripture that some of y'all may know. Romans 3.23 through 27, I'm going to read this, starting with verse 23. Um, and this is good news. I want to say this. This is really good news. Um, and some of y'all might need to repeat the first phrase a little bit because, again, when we talk about judgment, we're walking around with magnifying glasses. This is the mirror that God just shoves back at us. He goes, uh, no, you don't have it together. But I do. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Tap your neighbor and go, you have sinned. Go for it. And then you tap them back and go, well, you fall short of the glory of God. Then high five one another and go, both of us got it wrong. Here's the good news. 24, they, say me, me, I am justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say that again, and I, like, I'm priming the pump for y'all. Like, this is an interactive sermon. Uh, <laughs> that we can shout amen in these moments, because this is the good news. This is where life is had for you and I. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God, yet they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. That is life for you and me. That is life for anyone who says, I want to go the way of the kingdom. I want to go the way of Jesus. Verse 25, God presented him, him as Jesus, presented Jesus as an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith to demonstrate Jesus' righteousness. Because in, Jesus, in, God's, in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is your boasting? It is excluded. But what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by the law of faith. 
Paul is saying to the church, he's saying to us, you don't get to judge because the king and ruler and the judge of all judges has said, you are clean not by what you have done, but what my son has done. So get in the corner and shut up. Stop. Stop casting judgment. Stop setting hurdles in front of people to measure up to you. Just so you know, their salvation is not measured to you. It's measured to my son. We see that later on in Scripture. We're going to read that in Ephesians 4. 2 Corinthians 5, 10-11 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. That last verse 11 is, is key. The fear of the Lord, this is understanding of the power and rightliness of who God is. And that fear is not one that makes us uh, lean back in, in trembling, but press forward in trembling. Because that fear and that reality is there are people who do not know God, who are not submitting to the life, rule, and love of who Jesus is. And we long for them to. Jesus, this is, this is what Paul is saying, is that we've tasted the goodness of God, and we long to see the renewal of all people tasting that goodness. And so we persuade, we tell, we provoke, we have these conversations, but we do so in a way of grace, and we must do it in a way of humility. And that's where passage, uh, the Matthew passage 3 through 5 comes in. Look there with me. So why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite means actor, one who doesn't know what they're doing. First, take the beam of wood out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Uh, Charles Quarles, uh, one of the authors that uh, reading and studying a lot for the Sermon on the Mount says this, members of the family of God who must lovingly correct one another without haughty or hypocritical condemnation of others. Jesus challenged hypocritical judgment by asking, why do you? The question is not nearly a rebuke, but a sincere call to probe the motives and rationale, the why, for this judgment. There was not judging, they were judgmental. Their judgmental attitudes were expressed by a tendency to scrutinize the minor faults. It's important for us to see here that Jesus, and it seems somewhat contradictory. We see in the first verse, it says, do not judge. But if we look further, we realize that that's, Jesus isn't saying to not help and not call out things in people's lives. Because in verse 3 through 5, we see that Jesus says, you're going to call some stuff out. Make sure that your heart is right. Make sure that the way in which you are bringing this to a brother or a sister is not done hypocritically. And so he uses this absurd, absurd illustration. Um, this is sawdust, not cheese. I had a few kids come up earlier and they're like, oh, is that cheese? I'm like, no, 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 it's sawdust. Don't, don't eat that. I mean, you can, but it's going to be bad. Uh, I was going to blow it across the room and put splinters in all of our eyes. Welcome to Daybreak. Um, no, that church is rough. Um, but to capture the picture of, of what Jesus is saying, Matt, I'm going to have you come up here and help me for a second. I'll find you a small, okay. So I just want, I'm not going to put it, I'm going to have you hold it and just like put it close to your eyeball. I actually got several of these in my eye earlier. I was trying to squeeze the air out and it like, it blew up out of the bag and it was like all over me. And I was just like, well, I'm my own illustration now. That's amazing. So Matt has this splinter. He has this little bit of sawdust in his eye. and Like, just kind of put that there. Like, most of y'all can't even see that. Like, it's, it's tiny. But yet, because I'm his brother, I'm in proximity, I see that thing. And that thing could very well be sin, could very well be something that, whether, it, whether it's minor, whether it's just a, an attitude, whether it's a pridefulness, doesn't have to be something big, blown out, crazy. It could just be something that, that doesn't glorify the Father. And because I know Jesus really well, like, I'm like, I'm a really, like, I'm just really good in my faith, and I love God, and I read my Bible, 
I lead Bible studies. I preach on Sundays. I do my. Th- I play bass. I worship on the team, and I see my brother, and I'm like, oh, he he doesn't know about that speck. I'm gonna come help him. Now, if we see the text, Jesus is saying, your brother needs help. We shouldn't walk around with sawdust in our eyes. That's not how God wants us to live. He doesn't want us to have specks in our eyes. He doesn't want us to have something that becomes irritable. What I love about this illustration that goes further, Jesus is a carpenter. And a carpenter would know this illustration well, that sawdust or a speck, a splinter left in the eye for a period of time would become what? Infected. And that's nasty. It's gross. Could even lose the eye itself. But Jesus gives this really awkward statement of like, but imagine not only is it a plank, the illustration almost is they've got a full barn door on the side of their face. Like just an insanity, a weight that cannot be bared, but yet you can see the infection in a brother. And Jesus says, what I love this, and this is where it can be hard. Brother, sister, just because somebody hasn't helped you with your plank doesn't mean that you can't take care of yourself. Hold that mirror up and go, God, where in my life do I, like, where, what do I got in my life? Oh, the plank? Oh. You want me to, well, what if, but I like the plank. It really, it accentuates my eyebrows. Stacy's laughing harder because that's an inside joke. I have really crazy eyebrows. Just, now people are going to pay attention. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so, like, but we do, we cling, we cling to these things. Like, oh, but I, it's like, oh, don't judge me. <laughs> this is how God made me. I'm wired this way. I was born this way. I know what scripture may say, but, but God loves me. Jesus died for me. Just as Jesus died for the splinter to be removed, he died so that this larger reality might also be removed. And here's the beauty of what Jesus is saying. Deal with this. Get this taken out. And then don't just be excited that Jesus had done that. Because what happens is you now need to get close to your brother or sister. Thank you. You need to draw close. Because what needs to happen is surgical. What needs to happen in a closeness could not be done with a giant log in your eye because you're going to be knocking other people out as you move through. And we've experienced this. We've experienced this in church. We've experienced it with our friends. People who just, they see you and they see your faults, but they don't see their own because all they're living is with a life of magnifying, not a life of a mirror. And so God is like, no, I, like, I want the best for you and I want the best for you, but like, we got to work this out. We got to figure out how so that I can come in and go, hey, you got this thing. Can I, boom, hey look at you. Is that better? Like, oh, you're welcome. High five. Jesus. Good. Y'all give Matt a round of applause. Like, it's, it's, our our brothers and sisters need that. They need us to be in a place of true humility with God so that we can help our brothers and sisters, so that we can help one another. Not just going around going, y'all ain't measuring up. It is not the goal that we are after. James 4, 6 through 8 says this, but Jesus gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will free from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That to help our brothers and sisters, we like w- when there's that small of a thing that needs to be redeemed, that needs to bring healing to, there's a purification that needs to take place. Uh, you don't want to be going into eye surgery with dirty hands. Be humble. Ask the Lord, God, what, what in my life right now needs to be checked? And I want to challenge. Don't ask God that so you can now go around being the judge of everybody. Like, I know some of our spirits work that way. Like, okay, I want to be good. I want to be real good and perfect so I can go around telling everybody else how bad they're being. Stop. You are a brother and sister in this kingdom. Act like it. We are peers. We have our Savior Jesus, who has our brother, who is our king, welcomes us in. 
And so that we would grow with grace, understanding that we are judged and will be judged by God himself. But through Jesus, there is righteousness, there is forgiveness, there is relationship restored in him and him alone. And that through that, we then in relationship with one another, through humility, want to help our brothers and sisters become all that God has called them to be. To give a plug for the kind of the vision that we work through as a church, we long for people to know God. That's where we start. We start with beginning to understand that God exists and that he is good and he is kind. And even though life is hard and there are hard moments that come our way, he is worthy of our affection. He's worthy of us following after. And when we grow in knowing him, we begin to walk in freedom. We find the freedom that our life is needing, freedom from sin, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt that has followed us around, freedom. We find true freedom, and when we find freedom, we move from freedom to our purpose, finding our purpose that each one of you is made uniquely on purpose, for purpose. That purpose is making much of Jesus in your life. Like that is the call. And then we just repeat that over and over again. And so we start that with grace. We walk into it with humility, knowing that we are not perfect, that we live not with magnifying glass, but a mirror allowing the Holy Spirit to shape us, transform us, so that we can walk in wisdom. So that we can walk in wisdom. Matthew 7, 6 through 8. This is a weird passage when we take it out of context. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs. Or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Again, you've probably heard that text before, probably out of context. I've heard it out of context a lot. I sadly have probably used it out of context a lot. It is still in response to this idea of judgment. And why? Because it's coupled here. It's, it's still running this theme this idea of judgment. And Jesus is saying, you need to have wise judgment. You need to grow in wisdom. Judge wisely and not unfairly. Judge wisely and not falsely. Judge wisely, not hypocritically. You see, judging magnifies. Good or bad. And we judge all the time, right? And there's some things we should judge. Uh, we should use more judgment in our dating relationships. But pastor, he loves God. Great, but does he have a grocery money? Is he good with money? Stacy would go, Britt didn't. <laughs> so that's good judgment. She had some friends in her life. She's like, like you really want to be with this guy? Like, he's getting getting credit cards declined on first dates. I sucked. Didn't have my stuff together. So in grace and humility, she gives a second chance. So the follow-up question with that would be is, do they show signs of willingness to grow up? Judgment is good. Judgment will save you from bad relationships. Proper wisdom will guard your heart. When you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in that, does, does, do they show signs of willingness to mature? Or are they, this is who I am, don't judge me. But pastor, she makes me laugh. But does she have an uncontrollable temper? <laughs> like These are important questions when we look in relationships. There's, there's a necessity in judging. When I get those scam phone calls, we just need your social security number to help relieve you of this debt. Hmm. Well, pastor said don't judge, so here you go. Stop that. Wisdom. Like wisdom, that we would grow in wisdom, that you judge and we would rightly judge certain things so that we do not, we're not finding ourselves in places that bring us pain and bring us harm, that we would grow in this wisdom. And so Jesus is saying that the things that are holy, what is holy? You are holy. Because Jesus has made you holy. You are set apart. You are precious as a pearl. Don't be throwing yourself into situations that will tear you apart. Have wisdom. Use proper judgment. Another phrase that I've heard this used, and I think it's not wrong, but even with the pearl, that the treasure that Jesus often is referring to is the treasure of the gospel itself. 
the good news of Jesus. And here's what's challenging with this, is that do I judge somebody to be a dog or a pig and therefore not worthy of the gospel? It's a hard question to ask, because I'm not deserving of the gospel. None of us are deserving of the gospel. I'll read Romans 3.23 again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If that is the case, all of us are dogs. All of us are pigs before God himself. But yet he calls us and says, I will make you clean through my son Jesus. So what do we do with that? Wisdom tells us, I would say, the situation that I'm walking into encourage or rebuke or challenge or uplift a brother or sister, how is this going to turn out? Is this going to be a big fight that it doesn't need to be? Am I going to be casting pearls? Am I going to be casting a treasure before someone who in this moment does not want to receive it? That you and I would grow in wisdom. Because here's why, church. We have to grow in this wisdom because you're deserving of it. I'm deserving of it. Ephesians 4 is one of my favorite verses that, that maps out the understanding of the call in our life. And why we do this as a church. Why we come together in dinner parties to build one another up. Ephesians 4, 13 through 16. It says all of this is going to happen until we all reach Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, Jesus. This is the goal, that our faith and knowledge. Well, but isn't faith knowing? No. <laughs> my faith, my action, the thing that I believe at the core of who I am, that I would grow in that. Not just by myself, but in unity that I would grow in my action there and my knowledge, my understanding of who Jesus is. And this isn't a solo gig. This is you and I together. Church, we fire on all cylinders when we come together in faith and in unity. We're able to serve and love the Shalom Center when we all come together and do that. We're able to welcome 1,900 people into this building because they're dressed like demons and all kinds of ridiculousness to give candy to then have conversations about Jesus outside. When we are firing on all cylinders, when our faith and our knowledge is unified in who God is, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. That measure, bring that verse, bring that word back to, to Matthew 7, 2. To what measure you judge someone? What measure are you judged to? The measure of Jesus like he is our measure. So that is where our judgment begins with him. What has Christ done? How has Christ lived? He is our measure in his fullness. Verse 14, then we will no longer be like little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every kind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, I love that phrase. If you've been through 101 or 201, you've heard how we translate that. Who is the truth? Jesus. So speaking who? Speaking Jesus in what love? We speak the gospel. We speak him. We speak Jesus in love to one another. Why? So that to let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For from him the whole body, fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. We're going to tackle that at a later date because that is rich upon rich and all kinds of goodness, church. Truth without grace is mean. And grace without truth is meaningless. I'll say that again. Truth without grace is just, it's just mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. That's why Romans 3 is so beautiful. It doesn't just give us the truth that, man, you're a sinner and you'll never measure up. That's true. That's, that, that is, there's nothing truer than that. But the good news, the gospel, the great news is, Guess what? Here's your meaning. It's found in the Savior who gave his life for you so that you may have life. There's this principle in wisdom and correction and right living. The principle is not set by you or by me, but by 
or, or by, um, if we are truly kingdom followers, if we are to live the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom, a life of Makarios, this will and this why, it's God's principle. It's how God sets it in motion. But many of us, we bring our prejudices and our personalities to this. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, says it this way. Another manifestation of this self-righteousness, this hypocrisy spirit, is that it puts prejudice in the place of principle, the kingdom, the way of the kingdom. We are to judge in terms of principle because otherwise we cannot disciple the church. But if a man takes his own prejudices and puts them up as principles, he is guilty of the spirit of judgment. Another way in which it shows itself is the tendency to put our personalities into the place of principles. We all know how easy it is for a discussion to drift to persons or personalities and away from the principle, away from the kingdom of God itself. It is true to say that people who object to doctrine are generally those who are most guilty of this practical point. Because they do not have a grasp and understanding of doctrine, they can talk only in terms of personalities. So the moment a man stands for principle or doctrine, they begin to say he is a difficult person. The person is obtrude into the place where principles should come, and that in turn leads to the tendency to impute motives because they cannot understand why another man or woman would stand for principles. Motives are imputed to him. And to impute motives is always a manifestation of a spirit of judgment. That last part, I'm going to say that again. You might want to write this down because this has been challenging to me because I realize I do this in my life all of the time. To impute means to place upon and push into someone's life, which may or may not be true. To impute motives is always a manifestation of a spirit of judgment. If I impute motives on Kanye, dude just wants to make money from the Christians now. That's imputing a motive. But pastor, what if you're right? What if I'm wrong? I've cast judgment. Wrong or right, guess who gets to be the judge? Not me. I don't have to be. Do you know the freedom that it is to walk around? Not not caring, but not judging. Man, it is so good. Like, pastor, what do you think about what so-and-so did? <sighs> Man, we'll pray for him. I don't need to give a lot of thought or energy to it. The principle in the kingdom of God is they miss the mark, but I miss the mark. Thank be to God that there's grace and gospel for me to walk that out, to have faith and follow after him. Church, this morning, you and I, we are presented with a necessity of asking, how then do we judge? Do we judge wrongly with our magnifying glasses, finding the specks on our brothers and sisters? Or do we judge with the mirror of the gospel? That Jesus sets before us and says, child, you, you realize you're mine, right? I gave my life for you. My father resurrected me so that you too could be resurrected. Like this is the gift for all who would say they follow after the way of Jesus. That you can have this gift, this life, not just a life ever like that's going to come at the end of days, but this makarios living, this freedom that can be had now, like saying yes to me and following me and, and giving up this old way, these old patterns in your life. There's freedom and there's life to be had in me. Because church, to re remind us uh, in Ephesians 4, or uh, in 1 Corinthians, we will stand before the judge. And our good and our bad are both going to be set up. And the, the beauty of that we need to understand is it doesn't matter how good you've been or how bad you've been. All that matters is do you have Jesus? Like, do you have him? Is he the one who stands in your place? And if he's not, church, you don't need my judgment. Like, you have gods on you. And yet Jesus is here saying, come to me. All you who are weary, all you who are tired, the only way to my father rightly and perfectly is through my life. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. As Haley comes forward to lead us in worship and our communion assistants, come forward. 
That's why I love communion. It is a constant, efficient reminder for us where Jesus looks and says, hey, I'm, I'm giving my life for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Everyone who takes of this bread, who takes of this wine, they are reminding themselves of that. It, it, it behooves me that I have to read the scripture. Paul says that if we take this cup wrongly, we're actually drinking judgment on ourselves. And so this morning, I want to lay this before us. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, Please just sit down. Don't do this as a sign that, well, I just want the pastor. I don't want, any, I don't want to be awkward and be the only one sitting. We do not want you to drink judgment on yourself. This is for the ones who have said yes to Jesus. That they're walking in that, that, that way. They may not be perfect in walking it out. None of us are perfect in walking it out. But Jesus was perfect in walking it out. And it's us trying to walk after him. As we may stumble, we may fall, we're going to get specks in our eyes, we're walking around with logs in our eyes. But there is grace and there is mercy for you and I today. And so as you come this morning, that you would take this bread and you would realize that the judgment and wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus' life. And that the good news is that as you take that bread and you take that wine, that you have life everlasting in him. You have freedom in him. You have forgiveness in him. You have purpose found in him. That as we take that, we would delight in the mercy that has been shown to you and I. And if you're here today and you're like, can I have that mercy? Can, I, can that grace be extended to me? Yes. There's no real magical formula to it. It's not about raising your hand or saying a prayer or reciting anything. It is about you and your heart of hearts saying, God, I want that mercy. I want that life that I hear being talked about. What do I got to do? Oh, I just got to say yes to you. I got to follow you. I don't fully know what that means, but I want that. I want it. I want that mercy. I want that grace. I want that life here and now and forever. And if that's you this morning, it's just a simple matter of you saying, I want that. You come and you take and you're reminded of the grace and mercy of what God has done for you. I'm going to invite all of us to stand and close our eyes as we pray. God, I thank you so much that even though I and everyone in this room is deserving of separation and death apart from you, that that is proper judgment for us in sinning against you and sinning against one another. But because of your great love, because of your great mercy, because of your great grace, you sent your only son to live perfectly, to die fully, to be resurrected really, so that we might have life forevermore. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more information, please head to ourdaybreak.church or to Our Daybreak Church on Facebook to learn more.